that's fine. <laughs> I expect it. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hey, thanks for coming out. May the Lord bless you this morning. I don't know if there's any housekeeping things that I need to take care of this morning, other than we have a prayer meeting that I hope you will take the time to come be part of. You have not because you ask not. And we have a lot of needs in our nation right now, and it's good that those who would come together in fervent prayer would do that. It's at 6 p.m. You can go to our website to get on the link and join with us. Um, hope to see you, see you there. Okay? All right. Well, we are going to be in the book of Exodus. So why don't you turn there, Exodus 29. And let's just read together the verses that we're going to be covering this morning. And that is Exodus chapter 29, verses 42 through 46, the end of the chapter. Let's all stand in honor of God's word, please. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we gather both in the name of your Son and in your presence to worship, to sit and listen to what the Holy Spirit would say to our hearts about you, concerning you. Desire this morning that we fall in love with you in a deeper, more fully way than we have since we even first knew you. I pray, Father, that you would remove the blindness from the eyes that just aren't seen. I pray that you would protect us from the onslaught of the evil one who would seek to steal the, the seed of the word of God from the souls that hear it. And I pray that you open our understanding, Lord, to a fresh, wonderful, loving revelation of you. So bless us now as we get into your word. Manifest your spirit, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. All right. <clears throat> I can't imagine the pain of a parent whose child wants nothing to do with them. I can't imagine the pain of a parent whose child wants nothing to do with them. It's not been my experience. 
And I think it would absolutely devastate me. I, I don't, I can't fathom it. <clears throat> there was a mother standing in line at a grocery store with two very disrespectful and disobedient teenagers. And they were giving her a hard time arguing with her. And when they paused in it, the, the guy standing behind her asked her, um, so if you had to do it over again, would you? She said, sure, just not with these two. <laughs> <clears throat> but then there was the mom that was interviewed and asked if she would do it all over again. And she said a hundred times no. I've been a failure as a parent and my kids are failures as people. That brought nothing but heartache to me. I know, and I've talked to two moms about this, that there are those who dread Mother's Day. Not because um, their kids necessarily want nothing to do with them, it's that it's just an afterthought. It's just one of those sort of a duty that you perform without any heart or foresight. And that's got to bring its own special kind of grief too, don't you think? And if that's the experience of a mother or two, imagine the experience of a father of billions. And most of them, the great majority of them, want nothing to do with them. Romans 3.11 tells us that there's none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. Now I want you to get out your highlighters and your pens, and when we come across that word seek in the Bible, I want you to highlight it and underline it. It's an important word for today's teaching. However, there are those who do get it, who are drawn by God, by his love for them, they appreciate it, they benefit by it, like David, when he said in Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Does that sound like the heart of someone who wants to be near the Father? That's the fulfillment of God's purpose for creating us. Do you realize that? That is the fulfillment of God's purpose of creating you, of creating me. Isaiah 43, seven says, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Everyone created for my glory. And then in verse 21 of the same chapter says, the people whom I'm formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Revelation 4.11 says, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things and for your pleasure. They are and were created. It pleased God to create you. You were created for his pleasure. He's your creator, and there's purpose for your life. And that purpose is to enjoy fellowship with God all through your life and all throughout eternity. Now, in scripture, as we get into Exodus chapter 29, for the first time ever, 
there's actually a place where you can meet with him. This morning we're going to see in our study of the consecration ceremony that the overall purpose of having a tabernacle at all is to to facilitate fellowship. You guys will laugh at me, okay, if I mispronounce words. I I don't mind. At least I know you're alive. Yes. No, I can see your eyes though. We're going to see in our study the consecration ceremony, the overall purpose for having a tabernacle to facilitate fellowship between God and man, between God and his children. And in the course of this study, we're going to see how this is such a tremendous, glorious, transcendent thing. There are not enough adjectives in the world to describe the wonder of this, to meet with God. And the question always is, who will come? Who will come? All right, let's look at verse 42, and we'll see the meeting place, okay? This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations. Now, this is the Lord talking to Moses. He's giving him instructions on how to do the tabernacle and how to worship him. They haven't built the tabernacle yet, that's coming. But this is why we're doing this. A continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will meet you to speak with you. Now the continual burnt offering refers to the morning offering which is an offering of thanksgiving and praise. It involves both an animal sacrifice as well as a grain sacrifice. And then there's the evening sacrifice which is given to you to atone for your sin. So every day, every day, twice a day, they're gonna be offering up animal and grain sacrifices before the Lord. And this will continue until the time of Jesus with, with few pauses And when Jesus comes, then we know, according to Hebrews, that he was the once-for-all sacrifice, okay? So no more need for morning and evening sacrifices. However, it's good for you in the morning to sacrifice some of your sleep and your time to go before God in praise and thanksgiving for another day in which you have breath and to receive from him instruction encouragement, strength, and peace. And then it's good for you at the end of the day, after you didn't do all those things you promised that you would do, to go before God and confess it and receive from him again forgiveness and joy and peace. Just saying, okay? Now he says, I will meet with you to speak with you. Well, who is he talking about? Who is the you? Well, first of all, the first you in that sentence there is in the plural in the Hebrew. Our southern brethren would say it's y'all. I'm gonna meet here with y'all. You, Aaron, your sons, and the congregation. I'm gonna meet with y'all, okay? But the second one is singular. You, and I will speak with you. Remember, Moses is God's designated representative 
of God to the people. All right. And you remember what the office of a priest was, to represent God before the people and to represent the people before the Lord. But what kind of meeting is this? Staff meeting? A shareholders meeting? Amway? Some of you remember Amway, right? <laughs> you ever got sucked into one of those things? I'm sorry. If you sell Amway, please forgive me. It's a meeting of shared hearts, of sacred shared concerns, a meeting of common interests between Moses and God that has namely the welfare and the state of the children of Israel in mind, okay? In the meeting, Moses will be asking for direction and for help. In the meeting, Moses will pour out his love and praise and thanksgiving for the Lord's mercy and his grace and his intervention. In their meetings, God will commend Moses' his heart and will show him what the people must do. And in the meeting, God will listen to Moses' complaints about the people, and Moses will hear the Lord's complaints about the people and intercede for them. In the meeting, Moses will learn what the people must do to worship, that God's blessings may be poured out upon the people continually. Okay, get the idea? Good meeting. Now in verse 43, it says, there I will meet with the children of Israel. Now there, that is uh, saying I'm going to meet with everybody here. I'm going to meet with everybody. Well, think about that for a second, okay? You mean God is going to be meeting individually with all two million people? Like that peoples? Are other ancient manuscripts that have the same scriptures in them. And they have mild variations in them, nothing that contradicts any core doctrine at all. Mostly it has to do with spellings and names of places. But there is an ancient text called the Samaritan Pentateuch, the Samaritan Pentateuch. And it renders that phrase, there is, there I will meet, in verse 43, it renders it, I will present myself to be sought. Well, if you're seeking God and there he is and you meet with him, then that's where he will meet with you. You get it? But I love that phrase, that I will present myself to be sought after. Here God is opening himself up to being sought after, seeking out someone in the sense of fellowship and communion and favor and help and the gaining of wisdom. There's an example in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. You can turn there, please. 1 Samuel chapter 1. There's the example of Hannah, who had one of these kind of personal meetings with God. If you remember the opening of 1 Samuel, Hannah is in a bad way. She's under some severe social pressure for being barren, all right? It says in verse six that her rival provoked her severely. Now we know her rival was the other wife of Elkanah, Penaniah, I think is how you pronounce her name. 
and she was making Hannah's life miserable. Now, none of you understand how that is because no one's ever tried to make your life miserable, right? But she did. Back in the day, it was socially unacceptable, culturally insignificant if you had no children. Sort of the opposite of today, right? And, and we give, I've seen it, uh, perhaps not so much here, but there are some places where you can go and if you walk into a store and you've got five little ones trailing behind you, you might get a few snarky remarks. Hey, you ever heard of birth control? Because right now, politically correct is you don't leave a carbon print upon the earth, all right? But in that day, it was exactly the opposite. She was enduring taunting and provoking because she had no children. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Mama. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. You're not a mama, are you? Oh, so sad. Maybe it's Elkana. Oh, wait, can't be. I've got kids by Elkana. <laughs> well, maybe you should try adopting. I wish I could paint a picture of it to show you the grief that was in this woman's heart. But you know, the Lord allowed it. The Lord allowed it because he was seeking after a man to use, and this was the method by which he got his man. She headed, she headed down to Shiloh, or up to Shiloh, rather, where the tabernacle was, and she sought after God who could meet her needs. Now, I had this story in mind when we went to Israel this last January, and, and I stood on the spot where the tabernacle had been erected. And it just sort of filled me with awe. And to think that maybe this is where Eli stood, or where perhaps Hannah had stood and talked with Eli. She was broken. Her prayers were heartfelt. They were mutterings that the high priest Eli mistook for drunkenness. And she said, no, my Lord, it's the expression of my broken heart and desperation. And she pledged that if God would give her a son, she would dedicate him to the Lord after he was weaned. And a year later, guess what? She had a child, and then when he was weaned, he brought her, she brought him to the tabernacle and left him with Eli to raise up in the service of the priesthood. And you, understand, you remember, all of you Bible students know his name, right? Samuel, exactly. I have in my notes here this phrase, can you dig it? Can you dig it? At the tabernacle, at the tent of meeting, there God presented himself to be sought and she sought him and he became the becoming one, the one who met her need. Does this awaken anything in you guys? Does it take your breath away like it does me that the unbelievably magnificent, wonderfully phenomenal and spectacular truth, I could put a few more adjectives in there, but that the eternal God, the only God, the omnipotent, all-powerful God, the all-seeing, the all-knowing, ever-present God, the Lord God Almighty, the Most High God who spoke the universe into existence, 
Yahweh, the becoming one, Jehovah Ra, the God, the good and great and chief shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there, Jehovah Tzitkanu, the Lord of righteousness, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, and Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is peace, makes himself available to be sought after. The great I am. The one who was not created, had no beginning, has no end. The one for whom not a thing is too hard for becomes for you whatever you need in whatever situation or circumstance you are in. Isn't that amazing? Oh gosh, we, we, we get so old we lose the wonder of life, don't we? When you're a little child, like, um, when you're a little two-year-old, everything is just amazing and wonderful. You ever see a kid discover their shadow? <laughs> Whoa, what is that? Some try to lay down and hug it. Some try to play with it. And some run and start terror from it. You ever see them discover a butterfly or the sky? And their wonder is like, I wish I could go back there. I wish I could grab hold of that wonder. And here I'm telling you people, if you'll let your guard down, this is the wonder of the moment that the living God would allow himself to be sought after. He encourages it. Psalm 64, oh, that you would burst from the heavens and how the mountains would quake, but you would make the nations tremble and all your enemies would learn from your fame. Since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you. Since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you. Wow. I have a few passages I want you to underline, okay? Because we're going to come across that word seek often in the Bible. And every time you see that word seek, I want you to, to have this word picture in your head. Let's say tomorrow, uh, Wednesday night's lottery is something like $2 billion, okay? And you have the winning ticket. You have it, okay? And you lose it. You know it's in the house, but you don't know where you put it. The numbers come up and you recognize that that is your ticket you wanted. How much effort and passion would you put into seeking after that ticket? And how many of you said, oh, well, easy come, easy go. No, I, I got a feeling you're gonna tear that house apart. For $2 billion or four or whatever, you can build a whole brand new house, man. It doesn't have to have drywall in it. Rip that puppy apart. So every time I say, and you see the word seek, underline it and think about that, okay? Proverbs 8, 17. Turn to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17. Listen to what the Lord says. I love those who love me. And those who, what's the word, y'all? Those who seek me diligently will find me. 
The God who offers himself to be sought will be found by you when you seek him diligently. Okay? F.B. Meyer said, oh, the mystery and the wonder of it. And can that love ever fail us? I submit to you, it cannot. Now go to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And here David is rejoicing in the Lord because the Ark of the Covenant, which has been lost, has now been returned to Jerusalem to a place that he has made especially for it. It's not the temple. The temple hasn't been built yet. That's his son Solomon's gig. But here the Ark of the Covenant is coming in, and then in 1 Chronicles 16.10, look at what he says. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who, say it, the Lord. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant was the manifest presence of God. It's where the Shekinah glory dwelt in the tabernacle. And now it's back. It's back. And now we can seek him again. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Give thanks to the Lord. Underline that phrase. Give thanks. And underline the next sentence. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Underline this. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Do you see what's going on here? This is a one-man worship meeting. He's getting into it. Seeking the Lord who has presented himself to be sought involves giving thanks, or it should, calling on his name, praising and glorifying him. It involves speaking directly to God, like singing psalms to him. It involves speaking to others about God's greatness. I know you would tell as many people as you thought you could trust about winning the lottery, all right? It wouldn't be anybody in your family, but it might be a few others. But here, this magnificent gift that anybody can partake of it and they can have much of him as they want, oh, tell them about it, about his greatness. Make known his deeds among the peoples. And then... Even talking to yourself, where do you see that? By remembering his marvelous works. If you're going to be that old guy walking down the cereal aisle of fries and muttering to yourself, then at least be muttering about his marvelous works. Okay? There is no gifted tongue requisite. There are no powers of eloquence invoked. Neither laws of rhetoric nor rules of grammar are pronounced indispensable in the simple talk that my text teaches. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Don't need to be a gifted public speaker. You don't even have to be a graduate of my wife's speech class. You don't need to be eloquent. You don't need to use good grammar and pronunciation. Just talk of his wondrous works in any simple language. But do we? How often do you find yourself talking about the Lord? I mean outside of church. 
What are you saying? What are you thinking about? Are you invoking his name as a curse word? Are you complaining and muttering to yourself and whining? Oh, there's such a better way. There's so much more. Spurgeon goes on in his quote to state a sad truth. He says, I beg your pardon when you say you cannot do this. Do what? Speak of him. Tell others of his wondrous work. He says, you cannot because you will not. Apparently, we have a God who is more interested in meeting with us than we are in meeting with him. Truth is, not many Christians truly seek after the Lord. Most partake of his grace and then just live their lives. Come to him, get saved, and now they have a wonderful plan for life. And God, here's how you can get in on it. They do what seems right in their own eyes. But yet when a crisis comes, where do they go? That's right, they seek after him. But as soon as the pressure's off, so are they. Does that sound familiar? Come on now. I know I'm talking about myself. I've been there, done that. Got a closet full of t-shirts that express it. But the good thing is, is the fact you keep coming back as many times as you need to. Don't have to spin your wheels and waste so much emotional energy in it. You can find one path and walk on it and enjoy the benefits of it. But if you're prone to wander, oh Lord, I feel it, right? Come back. We have another example of this in 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Would you turn there, please? 2 Chronicles chapter 12. This is the story of Rehoboam. This is Solomon's son. If you remember during Solomon's reign as king, he started out good, but he ended up off track. He ended up not following the Lord so much. And where he left off, his son Rehoboam uh, took over and uh, was twice the pagan his father had been. He had a back and forth relationship with God. He would only seek God when he was in trouble, like in verse 12 of chapter 12, the time when Shishak, the Egyptian king, was threatening to invade Israel. It says he humbled himself, and when he humbled himself, I'm sorry, verse 12, the wrath of God turned from him so as not to destroy him completely. And things also went well in Judah. So out of God's mercy, he survived the threat from Shishak and regained his, or sorry, reigned until his, his natural death. But that doesn't tell the story. Verse 14 tells us what he's remembered for. See verse 14. He did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Do you know what that means? He did not prepare his heart. What have we been talking about the last few weeks? It's a C word. Consecration. Setting self aside for his exclusive purposes. Making him the master passion of your life. Putting yourself at totally his disposal. That wasn't, that wasn't Rehoboam's thing. He was into doing his own thing. Quoting Spurgeon again. You see how readily Rehoboam went, first towards God, then towards idols, and then back again towards God. He was always ready to shift and change. 
There was not anything real and permanent in his religion. It did not hold him. He held it sometimes, but it never held him. And that, again, describes the experience of so many Christians. You're hot, you're cold. You're hot, you're cold. You're hot, you're cold. But that's okay. Because if you're hot, the God can use you. The God. God can use you. If you're cold, he can deal with you. It's when you get indifferent and don't care anymore. That's the sad place to be. Now, God warned that this kind of attitude would forfeit his blessings. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. In Deuteronomy 4, God is predicting that this nation is going to fall away one day. He's sort of seeing a century or so into the future. And he tells them in verse 29. Are you there? Deuteronomy 4, 29. When you, and at this point in verse 29, this is, say, he's already told them that you're going to get deported. You're going to get exiled into another land. And he says, from there, from that land where you're deported to, you will, say it, seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek. Yeah, when I pause, that's sort of, sort of a clue, you know. <laughs> when you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. I'd underline that. I've highlighted it in my Bible because it's always true. God is always presenting himself to be sought after, even after you find yourself in dire straits between a rock and a hard spot because you've been running your show and making foolish choices. Look at verse 30. It says, when you are in distress and all these things come upon you in latter days, in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you. He won't destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. Now, 100 years or so from Deuteronomy 4, God is going to send Israel into exile. He will have them deported, um, but he's not going to abandon them in exile. When they were ready to turn back to the Lord, he would be ready to receive them. That's a big hint for us who tend to be prodigals from time to time. However, if Israel was to find the Lord, they had to seek him with all their heart and soul. It's a good time, I think, to remind ourselves once more, what does that mean? To seek God with all your heart has the idea of passionately seeking him because you really want to love him. You really want to love him. And seeking God with your soul has the idea of seeking God in our thoughts, having him encompass all of our thoughts, having him take control of our will, directing our will and our emotions with giving ourselves to him, becoming him becoming our master passion and his agenda, our agenda, his will, our will. And of course, that will evidence itself in your obedience. Now, Jeremiah 29, let's turn there, Jeremiah 29, tells us of the promise of restoration of fellowship when you turn again to seek after him. Jeremiah 29. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years, this is talking about that uh, deportation, 
After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Notice what he said, I will visit you. I'll perform my good word toward you, okay? God wants to make himself available to be sought and he wants to perform good things toward you. At the end of the captivity, God's gonna be there once again. And even now, of course, he's visiting some of you who are at the end of your captivity, okay? And you are seeking him. Look at verse 11. You guys heard this before, right? I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and you will go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will... Let's try it again. One, two, three. See me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I don't know. You hear this over and over and over and over again in the Bible. God, El Olam, the eternal God, the only God, the omnipotent, all-powerful one, the all-seeing, all-knowing, ever-present God, the Lord God Almighty, the most, I, can, I describe him any other way to him. He'll be found by you if you will seek him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you seek him with a consecrated life. Now, to get all of him, he must have what? All of you. Now let's go back to Exodus 29 and look at verse 43 and see his glory manifested. Exodus 29. We spent a lot of time on that verse 42, didn't we? Bet you didn't know there was all that in there. Okay. Exodus 29:43. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. He's telling of an event that's going to happen in the book of Leviticus. So why don't you turn there, Leviticus chapter 9, and you'll see how it unfolded. He's saying, this is how you're going to know that this place, this tabernacle, is what I say it is, and that I will make myself available to be sought by you. It's going to be a supernatural phenomenon, Moses. It's going to occur. That's going to seal the deal. Look at verse 23. All right? Here, this is at the end of the entire ceremony. It's all been performed. All the sacrifices have been offered. Um, Aaron and his sons are all wearing the special clothes. Um, the blood has been sprinkled everywhere it needs to be sprinkled upon. And then it says, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. We're in verse 23. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Okay, the glory is appearing. What form is it appearing in? Okay, well, fire. Do you see it? Verse 24. Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat of the altar. If you were standing there, what would have been your reaction? It would have been just like them. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Wow. Moses, here's your sign, boy. This is how you're going to know for certain that I'll meet with you. It's not like you're going to see me in person or meet me in a chat room or we're going to have a Zoom conversation. 
you're going to know that this is the holy sanctified place for many because my glory will be manifested by the fire that comes down from heaven. All right. Am I suggesting that when you go home today, your kitchen table is going to light on fire? (laughs) Well, if it does and it's not consumed, let me know, please. No. You remember there was another time in the New Testament where God manifested his glory in the form of fire. John the Baptist, he promised that Jesus would come with a baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Matthew 3, right? And then Acts chapter 2. Yeah, turn there, guys. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's told them to wait in Jerusalem. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. That tells me that they all drove Hondas. Okay. All right. And suddenly, thank you. Thank you for that delayed laugh there. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Now, we may not have had that experience of seeing cloven tongues of fire above our heads when we came to Christ. But for a lot of us, coming truly submitted and willingly and intentionally with all of our heart, wanting him to fill us, we received a fire in our soul, the Holy Spirit burning within us. And we've seen the manifestation of that presence in our lives. And no, it wasn't because you spoke in tongues and it wasn't because you grabbed a Christian flag and ran around the church wearing it. We departed from our old ways because we wanted to. We desire to share him with others, not ashamed of the gospel, no longer secret agents for Christ, but openly declaring our love and allegiance to him and even inviting others to find that incredible life too. But the biggest, most significant and obvious manifestation of his presence in our lives was the fruit of the spirit that we see transforming our character, hate and indifference transformed into love, sadness and depression transformed into joy, uncertainty and fear transformed into peace, impatience transformed into patience, and rudeness and meanness transformed into kindness, brashness and harshness transformed into gentleness, and impulsiveness transformed with self-control. And that wasn't just a one and ton deal. We see it happening in our lives continuously, don't we? That's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That's the burning within our souls. These are the hallmarks of a person in love with Christ, in our seeking him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we get all of that plus eternity and paradise thrown in. Pretty good deal, I think. Now back in Exodus 29, we'll we'll finish this up. Verse 44 says, 
I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell. Do you see that? I will dwell. It's like saying, I will present myself to be sought after. I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. And I love this last phrase. I am the Lord their God. That's an awesome, wonderful, incredible statement. The great I am, the first, the last the creator of all souls, the one who inhabits eternity, my Lord and my God. Who's the Lord your God, guys? You've heard the phrase, who's your daddy? Who's the Lord your God? Who's the Lord your God? I want to give this as a reflection, and the worship team, come on up. Isaiah 55, 6, last verse to turn to, please. Isaiah 55, 6, okay? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. This phrase has a sense of urgency to it saying this is the time God can be found now seek him now does that mean he's going to go off and hide himself someplace no it's not what it's talking about it's that he can only be found when your heart is inclined to be looking for him and right now for some of you if not here in the congregation you who are watching at home your heart has is, is been pricked and inclined to seek after him. So seek him while he can be found. And understand that even that inclination itself is a gift. It's a gift of God. But as in every gift, <clears throat> you must receive it and make the most of it while you can. Not seeking and failing to call upon him while he's near means you're missing a golden opportunity and you're going to miss the blessings that he promises when you enter into a personal relationship with him. God has presented himself to you today, this morning, to be sought after in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the manifestation of the divine presence today. You must seek him with your whole heart by faith because it's by grace through faith you're saved. So I want to give you an invitation. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Last week, we offered an opportunity for the listeners and the attenders here to rededicate their lives to the God Most High. And just about everybody here did. That was so cool. Today, the opportunity is for those who have not known him at all, but feel the conviction of soul to surrender their lives to the one who made the heavens and the earth. You're feeling the inclination now to seek after him. In John 17, 1, Jesus prayed, 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Just as you have given him power and authority over all mankind, now glorify him so that he may give eternal life to all whom you have given him to be his permanently and forever. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true, supreme, and sovereign God, and in the same manner know Jesus as the Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life, God's free gift to those who believe on his Son. From our viewpoint, we receive the gift of eternal life when we believe on Jesus Christ. Eternal life is knowing God personally, not just knowing about him, but having a personal relationship with him. And you can't know the Father apart from the Son. It's not enough simply to say, hey, I believe in God. It's not going to cut it because even the devil's demons also believe and tremble. The Bible makes it clear that people may be devoutly religious and still not know God. Eternal life is not something you earn by character or conduct. It's a gift you receive by admitting that you're a sinner, repenting and believing on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Does that make sense? Do you want to pray to declare that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you want to pray for him to enter into your life? And this is what you're going to need to declare. And I'll give you a moment here. I'm going to read it to you and then I'll pray it with you. Your prayer is going to consist of this. Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you died for my sins and are that Savior. Right now I turn from my sins and open the door of my heart and life to you. Come now. Abide reside in me take control of my life i confess you as my personal lord and savior i surrender my heart to you now thank you for saving me amen now are you ready does that express the desire of your heart i would like you all now to bow your heads anyone is here this morning and would like to receive Christ into their life, I would like you simply just to raise your hand to make that acknowledgement. Anybody at all. If you're at home watching this on the internet, you can raise your hand too. The Lord will see it. I don't need to. All right. I'm going to pray now. And if this is the desire of your heart, then just repeat it to yourself quietly. Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I believe you died for my sins and are that savior. Right now I turn from my sins and open the door of my heart and life to you. Come now, abide, reside in me. Take control of my life. 
I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. I surrender my heart to you now. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you say that prayer, guys? Did any of you? Congratulations now. You're in the family of God. And you have access to the eternal God who is making him available to be sought after. Um, I would appreciate it if you would go to our website and follow the links or just email us. That would even be better at info at ccarrowhead.com, info at ccarrowhead.com. Just tell me that you prayed that prayer and I have some resources that I want to give you. But I mostly want to pray for you, help you be established in the faith. Now, we're about ready here to go into our last part of worship, but we're not done yet. Some of you were not here last week and want to rededicate your life to God. Okay? I'm going to say a prayer. Just repeat it after me. This is nothing magic. It just expresses the heart. And it goes like this. Father, I've been a prodigal. But I want to return to you. The God I love. I desire to make your will my will. I desire to make your agenda my agenda. I give you unrestricted access to my time, my treasure, and my talents. All that is within me. Come once again. Mold my heart after yours. And I will give you praise. Come once again, direct my thoughts, and I will follow you. Take all of me once again. Amen. All right, not bad for a Sunday, huh? You're thinking? Let's all stay. Well, no, I don't want them to stand right now, right? No, okay, thanks. Well, let me just say this to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Spirit of God teach you all things and bring to your remembrance those things that he has commanded you. Remember to just love God and believe on Jesus Christ. And may the love of Christ be perfected in your life. May it increase and may it grow and may God help you to maintain a proper perspective of being in the world but not of the world. May you live that consecrated life. May your every touch be just as light as possible with the world because the world is passing and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God will abide forever. Thank you for being here and Lord help us to be interested and occupied with his life. Amen. Amen.